Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 91. Today's episode's for you if you're interested in how the AI landscape is changing for agencies and what you need to know from a legal perspective about your use of AI. So the topics that we're going to be covering include the ownership of the outputs, basically who owns, who owns what, potential protection of your inputs if you are utilizing the tools already, designing policies and contracts, including clauses that will cover your freelancers and uh, relationships with contractors, and not to mention your strategic partnerships with other agencies. We're also going to cover potential future developments and what's foreseen to happen, as well as the current US legal environment. So lots and lots of different topics that we're going to cover today. Sharon is absolutely brilliant. And no doubt by the end of this, you'll want her in your corner. So without further ado, let's go over to the introduction now. So I am absolutely delighted that I've managed to persuade Sharon Torek to come and join me on the show. Sharon, you've been a highly anticipated guest. Sharon is the owner of IP and marketing law firm Toric Law and the host of the Innovation Agency podcast. Toric Law helps independent marketing and creative services agencies protect and monetize their IP and manage the legal implications of their marketing and advertising work. Sharon is a very busy lady recently because she's been helping agencies navigate the legal side of using generative AI. And also, she is a speaker at this year's Marketing AI Institute Conference. So, Sharon, a very warm welcome to you. Penny, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for coming. So, Sharon, can we kick off? Because I've got a ton of questions and a couple of questions from my audience as well. Uh, Can you talk a bit about Toric Law? Who are your clients and what challenges are they bringing you lately relating to AI? Yeah, our clients are independent agencies that practice in any number of marketing disciplines. They could be digital, creative. What they have in common is they are independent, small to mid in size, generally, um, not holding company agencies. And we help them protect their assets, monetize them, develop strong contracts with their clients and other stakeholders, and navigate marketing regulations. And You know, the AI questions we are getting, they come from two angles, really. What about protecting, if we need to think about protecting the input that's going into generative AI tools? And then what are the consequences of the stuff that comes out the other side of the generative AI tools? You know, what are the responsibilities around that? Who owns it? What should we be talking to our clients about? What should our contracts be reflecting? What should we be telling our teams? Sometimes there's some redundancy in those things. Other times there are different considerations that are top of mind when you're addressing those questions. But that's what agencies are worried about right now. And, you know, as I was joking with you when we talked, Jenny, it is always the case that technology is bounding, you know, ahead of us all. And it's added us stinkers just running, running, running. And then business does a pretty good job of 
adapting quickly, and that includes agencies. And then we lawyers are here, you know, following behind, sweeping up the mess and trying to answer all the questions that that creates. And this is no different than any other technology that raises legal questions. It's just moving more quickly. I can see that. And absolutely, you've carved a niche for yourself, Sharon. And you're right, it's like a moving feast. So you're one of the only people in the market at the moment that's keeping ahead of how it's changing. So let's break those down and ask specific questions because you're absolutely right. I like the way you said protecting input and the consequences of the output. So let's start with the protecting inputs. Can you talk to us a bit about what that kind of looks like and what the latest state of play is? I think what most agencies are concerned about is do we have an understanding and a transparency with our clients about how we will be using these generative AI tools? So how will we be engineering our prompts? Where will we be getting inspiration to do that? Or are you, client brand, giving us some potential inputs to use to put into AI to help create the deliverables? If so, who owns that stuff to begin with? Do we have the permission of whoever owns it and whatever human or entity created it? Because once you fed it into a generative AI tool, it becomes part of the training data. You cannot unwind that clock. It's in there. And so what do we need to be thinking about in terms of protecting the inputs? Can we use copyright protected works to feed into our prompts and determine what outcomes will come out the other side that might inspire us to do work? So I think primarily the concern is what's our legal responsibility for managing what we put into the generative AI tool? What can we do? What cannot we do? And what questions should we be asking? So I think those are the main considerations and state of play right now with respect to that is, you know, authors and creators and other original content makers are starting to try to hold open AI and other generative AI purveyors accountable for the fact that their copywritten and owned work is being fed into generative AI tools, which are money-making machines, or they are intended to be at some point in the future, with no compensation to their original copyright creators. And so we're starting to see lawsuits in the U.S. from author groups, from some notable entertainers. Sarah Silverman is one of the entertainers who has sued OpenAI. And so who owns the ability to control when that stuff gets fed into an AI generative technology? And then whatever the output is, how can we use it? What can we do? What sort of uses can we make of it? And who's responsible if there's an infringement there? And the answer right now to that question is the end user is probably going to be left holding the bag right now because any terms and conditions of any major AI purveyor right now will hold that purveyor harmless for any infringement that occurs out the other side of the process. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because like you said, the law is catching up with how speedily this is happening. If we put it on a really tactical basis, I'll give you an example of an AI tool that's being used in the agency space. It's not necessarily ChatGPT, mm-hmm. but there's tools that we can use like otter.ai and fireflies.ai, which capture a transcript from a meeting that you have right. where you're talking to the client and the client's talking to you. Now, if you were to say to the client, is it okay if I record this session so that we can capture the notes and I'll provide you a summary of what we've agreed with the actions, 
that seems like a logical way of utilising that tool. However, for the purposes of account managers particularly, because that's my audience, if I'm talking to a client and the client starts sharing confidential information, maybe they don't realise that it is confidential. Maybe they do know, I don't know, but something slips out. Obviously, Fireflies or Otter has that information because you've signed up to use that tool. So can you talk to us a bit about how basically guidelines for agencies and account managers in particular that might be using those tools? So while I will acknowledge there's slightly less risk where it is a client to agency conversation and it's your risk is lower because the likelihood of anybody sorting through all that data to actually get at information conveyed client to agency or vice versa is low. It's definitely not risk-free. And I will tell you one of the major issues here with using AI to feed confidential or proprietary information into the machinery is that you risk destroying any trade secret protection you have. So My advice right now for professionals in the agency space who are managing the workflow, who are account supervisors, project managers, is if there is truly sensitive information being conveyed about business plans, product launches, technologies being considered or under development, I can't responsibly say AI right now is a safe place to be housing that information. You're disclosing it, first of all, which is the hallmark of keeping a trade secret, a trade secret. And you have no control over once it's in a training set of an AI machine, a tool, it's in there and you will not extract it. At least there's no safe way to do so right now or no legal precedent for forcing the extraction right now. So keep those conversations human to human or encrypted via email or all the other tools that you use to communicate with your clients. Or, you know, good old-fashioned face-to-face meetings with somebody taking notes, which I know sounds old school, but if the best way to keep proprietary information proprietary is to not destroy the secret nature of it. And AI is just not built to do that safely right now. Okay, good advice. Similarly, if I'm using a chat, GBT, for example, mm-hmm. just for the purposes of all listeners, putting anything that's sensitive about your client business is a similar thing, isn't it? You're using a different type of tool, but essentially anything that you put into that tool, it can be used as training data. And I suppose my second follow-on question is there is a mode that you can switch off to go into privacy mode, which means you can visibly see that the thread of conversations won't be captured. Can we rely on that setting? Do you think, it's probably an unfair question, but I just would be curious about your view on it. My view would be to be, you know, and it it feels conservative, obviously, to our audience here because agency folks tend to have a pretty high tolerance for risk. But my view on that point right now is no, you cannot rely on it to have any safeguards that will be meaningful to you. If your client comes to hold the agency accountable for the release of information that is proprietary or meant to be held close to the vest for whatever reason, I don't believe you're honoring or can safely honor your legal obligations or your ethical obligations right now by feeding it into any AI generative tool, really in any mode. That will change, I expect, as the technology continues to get smarter and to develop, but not today. Interesting. Oh, there's so many questions, Sharon. Let me just ask you another one about outputs. So I suppose let's jump to agreements because... 
I know that Paul Reutzer is recommending everyone should have an AI policy, you know, being really upfront from an agency perspective and the client's perspective to have an agreement about how the AI tools are going to be used. So what are you seeing generally, particularly with independent agencies in terms of having those contracts in place? Most are focused on, you know, and there's some redundancy here between the two of the things that I'm about to talk about, but most agencies right now are focused on their internal facing policy about the way they're going to handle AI, what tools their team members are authorized to use, for what purposes might they be authorized to use them, what levels of approval are required when an AI technology is going to be used in service of a client or to create a deliverable, and what the guidelines are for conversations with the clients. Because this all does start with a client conversation. And if the clients aren't provoking the conversation, as an agency, you are doing them and yourselves a favor by, you know, leading the conversation. You know, what is your expectation regarding our use of generative AI tools? Do you have guidelines as a brand regarding which ones we can and cannot use, which information we can and cannot feed into our prompt engineering strategies? What's your expectation about, if you have one, about what percentage of the deliverables might consist of AI-generated content? So you need an internal policy, and that's where most agencies are focused right now. But I believe you need an external-facing policy that needs to be shared as early as the business development phase of the relationship, probably after the pitch and probably after it's already decided that the parties are going to get married for a brief period of time for a project or a season or whatever. But at that point, your policy needs to be shared and discussed and your obligations and also your indemnifications and the ways you're being held harmless then need to be reflected in language in your master service agreement, your terms and conditions, whatever document you use to cement your relationship with the client. So it's policies which are sort of aspirational and guidelines about the way the parties expect everyone to behave around AI. And then it's what are we committing to agency, to client, and perhaps a checklist you could include in your external facing policy, making certain you've asked the right questions of your client because some of the stakeholders of the client with whom you're negotiating as an agency may not be on the forefront of what their company's policies are with respect to AI use. And you don't want a domino effect of the brand having not used AI in compliance with its own policy, then feeding you as an agency that output, et cetera, et cetera. So having the conversation up front is huge. And then reflecting what your commitments are and your responsibilities and what the client's responsibilities are to you in that contract is critical. Can you share with us, top line, what people are tending to agree to at this stage? Like just a very top line of roughly what that conversation is looking like. They're agreeing, I think, top line to what will the purposes be of your use of generative AI? For what will it be for research? Will it be for inspiration only? Might we expect that the actual deliverables that we receive might will have some AI-generated content actually in them. So the expectations there. What technologies specifically do you use as an agency and do you plan to use? And are you going to be using the tools to 
make statements or claims about our products? Are you going to be gathering research data that you'll be relying upon to develop the marketing strategy? And if so, can we see it? You know, so it's got to include all those top line, really big picture issues. The indemnification and the liability discussion usually occurs later and it's reflected in the agreement along with the other liability conversations that happen in these relationships. But those are some of the top line things that want to make sure that there's alignment around in the beginning. Right. Great. That's very thorough. Thank you. And I mean, around the AI content that it's generating to make sure who actually owns currently the AI generated content. That's a lovely question. And so here is the current state between the parties. Well, let's start with the AI generative technology owners themselves. They're happy to tell you as a user that you own the rights to the output. They don't want to own the rights to the output because they want to avoid responsibility for infringing on anybody else's intellectual property. Whether this accomplishes that is a separate question. We can talk about some other time. But they are typically, in most terms and conditions of most AI purveyors, they will allow you the ownership rights to the output. Between agency and client, the client default in just about every circumstance, and I don't expect it to change as a result of AI-created deliverables, is we want to own it at the end of the day. I think there's some claims agencies can make around, and I've, I've been giving this a lot of thought as I've been working through the issues that AI raises from an IP point of view. I've had a lot of thought to who owns the frameworks that are used to create the prompt engineering or the prompt strategies, because I see some opportunities for agencies to develop their own proprietary frameworks for how they create the prompts to put into AI. And I think that stuff would be ownable by the agency and there would be good strategic reasons why, just like you own your own software or your own internal process for doing a specific thing or creating a specific outcome, et cetera. So I see some possibilities for agencies there, but by and large, the expectations are that the client would own the output at the end of the day. Very interesting because the reason I find it interesting, Sharon, is I had a conversation with an account manager the other day mm -hmm. and they'd written a series of lines, copy lines for a client that were along a certain brand, tone of voice, you know, and they were really fun. And the client said to the agency, thanks for these. We've run out of budget, but in the future, we will want to generate similar lines along that theme. Mm -hmm. Can you share with us the prompt? that we can then use to generate them in-house. So what you're saying, and obviously this is completely new for the agency, so they didn't quite know how to respond. But what you've just explained is there's actually an opportunity there right. for the agency to say, hey, that's our prompt framework. And we can, what would you do, license it to the client or we ultimately own it, but you can use it in this context or... I think it depends upon the, on the amount of leverage you want to retain as an agency to get to work with that client in the future and what you think would be most, you know, harmonious in terms of the relationship for future opportunity. But, you know, I'm kind of an IP warrior for agencies. That's how I came to fall into doing agency work, really. It was general marketer, then agency, because we saw that agencies really needed advocacy here. So I'm a warrior for agency rights when it comes to intellectual property. And so I feel, therefore, that the maximum right now I'd like to see an agency client of my firm extend would be, we'll license it to you for certain purposes, but it's our technology. 
The problem is once you give them the strategy or the framework, there's little indication they would need you for that work in the future. And so you have to think about what's more important to you, the long game, or is this a strategy you want to use with other clients? In which case I would absolutely keep it close to vest. And I probably wouldn't even license it in that circumstance because it's holding you at a competitive advantage in the market. It's quite interesting that clients are starting to ask for it, isn't it? But interesting that, and I think there's a brilliant point that you've made. You have to think long-term, where's that going to put us in the future? Right. Are we helping our clients use us less? Yes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, being a industry leader in the use of specific technologies and mechanisms has always been one of the things that can put an agency at a strategic and competitive advantage in the marketplace. You know, we're talking about generative AI now, but we could be talking about another technology or another type of competency among agencies. And so you have to think about whether your secret sauce puts you at a competitive advantage for a particular client or a particular client work. And if it does, then I would be very, like I said, close to the vest about doing anything other than licensing it. And I would only license it if I saw other opportunities with that client that would make it worthwhile. And then you have to have the appropriate confidentiality and, you know, non-disclosure language around all that licensing as well. So I'm not saying never do it. I'm saying I'm an IP warrior for agencies and I like to see agencies hold on to their IP, especially if they might monetize it or commercialize it in other ways with other clients in the future. That's such a good, I love that phrase, IP warrior. That's brilliant. Now, tell me, can you give me any examples of where maybe agencies have slipped up in some way with use of AI and how they're in maybe dispute with clients, just so we can highlight any things to avoid for agencies listening. Unfortunately, we don't have any clients who have come at odds with their clients over the use of generative AI and the deliverables that it creates. I guess if I had a crystal ball and had to predict what might be the most likely scenario, it would be liability over use of the output if there's something in the output that is either infringing on someone else's intellectual property or if it contains information or data that is incorrect or misleading or potentially damaging to the client brand. I see those as probably the low-hanging fruit in terms of where things can go south first. But I don't think we've even gotten the tip of the iceberg in terms of the different ways in which this could play um, havoc. The other possibility, and I don't have a case to, to share with you yet, this has not happened to any of our clients, but if you're a branding agency and you are using generative AI for inspiration and you create a visual identity for a client in support of their branding that is strikingly similar to the branding of another in a somewhat similar product category. They may not be copyright issues because they may not be a match exactly, but you may have a trademark infringement problem. And in almost every situation I've seen in the past where there's a trademark issue or agencies, you know, develop the branding support, the agency is going to be held accountable to make their clients whole there. So haven't seen the case yet. Won't surprise me when I do see one. I can see why you have become so busy and it's expanding your business, Sharon, because everything <laughs> you said, like, I'm just thinking if I'm an agency owner listening to this, I'm thinking, gosh, I have to diligently look at any outputs. I have to really look at how we're utilizing and the inputs. I have to look at my contracts 
and check that the wording is buttoned up because I'm sure you've experienced this with different size of agencies. You know, sometimes when they're first starting out with their agency, they take some templates from the internet when it comes to contracts and just start off. I mean, I know it must be horrific for you to hear that, but I know you've experienced it. Oh, yes, we see it every day. It's a surprise. (laughs) Because the other, so I was just thinking about your point at the beginning about giving instruction to their teams and also freelancers because freelancers you may bring in and you're under contract with a freelancer and you have to make sure that their contracts are updated in line with the AI policy, presumably. Absolutely. And, you know, there are critical conversations and we only talked about two of them, though the ones that you need to have with your clients and the ones you need to have with your team. But there are other critical conversation parties, the contractors and freelancers that you engage to help you produce the deliverables. That's one. We've seen a dramatic uptick in the last 24 months or so of strategic alliances between agencies where agencies will collaborate with one another to serve a common client. So you need to be having those conversations with your collaborators. You need to be having those conversations with your vendors. If you're using a third-party video production studio, for example, what are their AI practices and how might they matter to the deliverables that end up getting you know, into your client's hands? So I think you should sit down as an agency and in the process of developing your policy, decide who are our stakeholders, who do we interact with, or what categories of entities or people do we interact with who might use generative AI to inform their work for us? And then you need to go through that checklist, have that conversation with each of them, and make sure the rules of the road are reflected in your agreements with those parties. So yes, freelancers are absolutely you know low-hanging fruit in that regard, for sure. Okay, some great tips here. And I th- I'm sure there's people taking tons of notes already. I certainly am. Sharon, what have you learned? Because you're obviously keeping on top of this and it's a moving feast. Things are changing every day, every hour. What's surprising you most about how quickly this is evolving and the impact, particularly because we're talking about agencies? What's most surprising to you about how this is changing things? I think given the rapid pace since last fall with which once sort of chat GPT broke open and therefore the AI conversation was, you know, at the tip of the tongue of all of us, if you will, things have just moved so quickly. I'm actually surprised we haven't seen more litigation yet. I am confident 100% that we will start to see it, you know, by the end of the year, because they're just big questions that we legitimately don't have the answers to. We have some guidance in the U.S. from our copyright office. We have a lot of noise being made by our legislators in the U.S. about, but it tends to be about the safety considerations and the ethical considerations that AI raises, not so much about party-to-party liability and sort of IP infringement issues that agency owners might worry about day-to-day. So I'm a little bit, I guess, impressed with the level of discourse at the government level here in our country. And I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen more lawsuits than we have because everything else has been moving so quickly. And I think, and I've thought this for a while, this is a golden opportunity for agencies because AI still requires human strategy, human gatekeeping, human intervention to actually be harnessed effectively for your clients to achieve their brand goals. 
And there's no one in a better position to do that than an agency. And so I think this presents challenges to be certain, but also a golden opportunity for you all to do what you do best, which is the strategic thinking and creative idea generation that your clients demand of you. AI will be one tool you'll use and perhaps you'll lean on it more heavily as the time progresses. But today, as we're talking, it requires your intervention, your interpretation, your curation. And this is where agencies shine. This is why the IP that agencies create is so important to me personally and why it's important to the work that my firm does, because I think agencies undervalue it in themselves. I think they don't own their position strongly enough in general in the client relationship with respect to what they generate. And so this is giving us an opportunity to have this conversation on another level. Presumably, a lot of your clients as agencies are asking you to review client contracts. You know, if they want a big piece of business, the client inevitably provides their contract on how we're going to work together. And there's, you know, paragraphs in there relating to client ownership of the IP. So I'm sure that's something that you've been looking at for a long period of time. How often do you find that agencies are able to change those terms so that they have ownership of IP? The highest success rate we see with agencies on this point is in two areas. First of all, you're typically going to be successful in general, putting AI aside for a brief second, and you're typically going to be successful making the transfer of the IP rights contingent on you being paid. Most brands will agree to that concession once you explain it. That wasn't always true. It's mostly true these days. Secondly, most brands are going to understand that if you use third-party generated work that is subject to the terms and conditions of the third party. And the best traditional examples of that are stock photography, stock fonts, stock videography, things like that. So I imagine that this is where large enterprises will adapt or evolve their IP language to account for the ownership of AI-generated work. My idea about the best approach is that it's probably best handled in its own separate clause of the agreement. And that will be our best practice going forward in the contracts that we develop and negotiate. And so we'll probably be striving to chip away at the IP language in an enterprise agreement and also then the liability language because those are the two logical places to address and negotiate AI-related issues. So it's almost like an AI separate clause in itself. Yeah, Talking in detail. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And I think because they think that there's two sides or at least two sides to the issues that AI raises and it's hard to address them completely unless you maybe take some real estate in the agreement and do it globally there. Absolutely. Yeah. What other pieces of advice and tips would you have for agencies right now, Sharon, for where we are in this AI landscape? I think that my biggest tip is I would be conservative about the amount of responsibility you're going to assume here because there are too many unknowns, but I would be proactive about the creativity that you exhibit in the ways you're willing to experiment with AI. Just do it with transparency, disclosure, and buy-in from your client. They will perceive you as a leader and an early adapter, and you're more likely to be perceived as cutting edge in your particular specialty. If you have thought through as an agency how and when you're going to use it, which platforms you want to use and why, and you share all that with the brand so that expectations are clear 
And you're leading the conversation, not just following and acquiescing to whatever the corporate requirements of your brand clients might be on the issue. That's great advice, leading the conversation. And I think there are some agencies that are picking up the mantle and running with that. Others, I feel, I don't know what you're seeing, but some are still a little bit putting their heads in the sand, hoping that it's all going to sort itself out. But, you know, to your point earlier, I'm sure on the client side, they haven't quite got their ducks in a row in terms of how they're going to deal with suppliers. Exactly, Jenny. I mean, we both know that enterprises move at a glacial pace, right? And so getting an approved change to the master service agreement that the procurement department uses to engage a services company, whether they're selling, you know, toner cartridges or marketing services, it will take a while. They will catch up. You know, let's not be disillusioned about that. But I think agencies have this gap of time now where they can just really be perceived as leaders. What else do you see coming through for the future, Sharon? Because I know you're a friend of Paul Reutzer, who's the head of the Marketing AI Institute. Have you got any other future kind of um, seeing what's going to happen that's coming down the line? So I think a big issue that will impact all marketers is the deepfake issue, right? We're only worried about it in the intelligence community, our aspects right now. I think that substituting the use of talent in campaigns for AI-generated likenesses, I think that will be an issue because... It will affect the talent market, which is already volatile in the United States. I'm not sure about in England, but I know here there's all kinds of challenges right now. So I think that'll be an issue to be dealt with. When can we, you know, use voice simulation? When can we use computer-generated imagery of individuals? It saves a ton of time. It saves a ton of money. What are the ethical and legal issues involved? So I think that'll be a big one coming next. Yeah, that's a really, really good shout. Sharon, this has been value-packed. Thank you so, so much. Have you got any final words of wisdom to share with agencies? Anything that we haven't covered that you would like to provide your sound counsel on? Well, first of all, Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to have the conversation. This has been fast-paced, but really enjoyable. And no, I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid of this. And I understand the logical reasons to be afraid of it. It's affecting all service industries and mine included. But I think if you put your energy into mastering the tools to increase your bandwidth, it's going to only lead to good things for you. And I understand the fear around it. What's it going to mean for our people? What is it going to mean for whether or not our clients don't need us anymore? I acknowledge and I respect all of that. But I think that Moving forward with fear is never particularly productive. I think history shows us that in all economies and in all events. And so don't be afraid. Experiment with this stuff. Think proactively about what you might be asked and have those questions answered in advance and lead the conversation, as I said before. Great. Sharon, I'm sure there's lots of people thinking I need Sharon's help right now because I need someone to help me navigate this. So what's the best way of reaching you and who ideally would you like to hear from? Well, again, we work with independent agencies, primarily U.S.-based, but if you're an agency outside the U.S. that does business in the United States, we'd certainly be glad to be helpful to you. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. That's a great place to find me, Sharon Torek, T-O-E-R-E-K. You can reach out to us at legalandcreative.com, which is our industry-facing brand for the law firm. 
And I never mind sharing my email because I think nobody wants to email a lawyer unless they really, really need to talk to one. So <laughs> Sharon at legalandcreative.com. I'd be happy to chat with you there as well. Amazing. We'll put all of that information in the show notes, Sharon. Sharon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much. This has been invaluable. I appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation and to catch up with you, Jenny. It was a really great time. So thank you for having me. I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Sharon as much as I did. She really did deliver lots and lots of value. We will include all of her details in the show notes so that you can contact her. And we also ran an AI for account managers webinar recently together with Roy Murphy. And the recording has been asked for several times. So if you don't want to miss out on any future mini trainings we're doing in this area, then please go to my website and sign up for the newsletter. It's accountmanagementskills.com. And we'll make sure that you get notified of future podcast episodes where we're talking about AI and also any mini trainings. So I look forward to seeing you on the next one. 